want you to turn with me now in your pew Bibles to page 960, wherein we find the second chapter of Matthew. Our focal point this afternoon will be upon the wise men coming from the east and the question that they ask. We'll be focusing in on who these wise men are and the questions that they raise. Let's read together the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, it's magi, from the east they came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and mary. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thus far, the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters loved by Christ, you know who these wise men are whom we've read about this afternoon? You wondered about them. Throughout the years, they've inspired significant speculation. There are even some Christian traditions that have given them names. By the end of the 6th century, they've been named Melchon, Balthasar, and Gaspar. Even though Matthew himself gives us no names. We've read the narrative together. And in fact, Matthew doesn't even tell us how many wise men there were. No, there's this well-known carol that assumes there's three. We, three kings of Orient, are. The Bible doesn't actually tell us much about them. The focus is in on what brings them into the picture, namely their search for the king of the Jews. The Spirit had Matthew record for us this narrative on the wise men to focus our attention on the Christ on the Savior, Jesus. So this afternoon, I'd like to focus in on who these wise men were and how they were used by the Lord in searching for the Messiah. Matthew, in this gospel, also teaches us about King Herod and how Jerusalem reacted to their arrival. But here, I'd like to focus in on these wise men searching and inquiring. 
And so I bring you this afternoon the glorious news of the gospel of Christ Jesus, born in Bethlehem of Judea, searched for by wise men from the east under the following theme and points. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We'll consider first who's being looked for and who's doing the searching. Secondly, where is he to be found? Thirdly, why is he being sought? Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Now, as we had mentioned this morning, Matthew does not tell us very much about the birth of Jesus beyond his parents' relationship. He doesn't describe his birth. He doesn't describe the shepherds. He doesn't mention the angels amidst heavenly light. All that he says here is he was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. And now he draws our attention away from that place away from that place where heavenly wisdom and power lay sleeping, elsewhere to places of human wisdom and power. The east and King Herod and Jerusalem, chief priests, wise men, scribes and kings. Matthew tells us that there were a number of wise men from the east who came to Jerusalem in search of the king of the Jews. These magi, as the NIV transliterates directly the Greek word magoi, they're not easily identified. Elsewhere in the scriptures, the book of Daniel speaks of a priestly caste of Babylonians who interpreted dreams, or at least attempted to. The term used here covers a wide variety of study. It is typically focused on predicting what's going to happen, trying to figure out the future. Wise men, magi, they they would study the stars, they they studied dreams, they studied magic wherever they could find it, they studied prophecies. Basically, they studied whatever they could to try to learn more about what is to come. That's something that everyone's fascinated about. What does tomorrow hold? What does the future look like? What's life going to be like? What will my life be like? Something as simple as trying to predict the weather for the upcoming week. Or what a horoscope might say. Something more complex. Maybe trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return. Or when the sun's going to go supernova. People are interested in what's going to happen. And people take advantage of this desire to know what's to happen. They do so today. They did so 100 years ago. They did so 2,000 years ago. Some were genuine and honestly searched after truth to the best of their ability. But many were charlatans and swindlers. We know that nobody knows the future except God. Prophecies about what was to come They would come from him alone. The people of God were to know true prophets from the false prophets when their predictions came true. You read of that in Deuteronomy 17. The Lord was always clear and concise to his prophets. He came to them and he gave to them the words that they were to speak. Thus says the Lord, they were to bring the people of Israel. They weren't to rely on secret codes or 
hidden messages to trick and to deceive that only a select few might understand. For unbelievers, those who did not know God, they would search in vain. But some magi would pretend to know more than they did in order to take advantage of the people around them. And so we can read in the New Testament how apostles would encounter various magi as they spread the gospel. You can read in Acts chapter 8 how Peter met Simon the sorcerer, Simon the magi. Paul would later meet Bar-Jesus, a magician in the courts of the proconsul of Cyprus in Acts 13, also a wise man. These, like many others, were men that sought to scam people with their arcane tricks. Indeed, in the Old Testament, the Lord forbade such practice. And in both Isaiah and Daniel, he mocks them and puts them to shame. What are their divinations? What are their predictions? What do the wise men have to say? The Lord laughs them all. His word alone stands firm. His word alone is true. And yet, we've read this afternoon in the gospel according to Matthew, how these magi have arrived in the land searching for the king of the Jews. Matthew notes that the Lord used even these sinful uninformed Gentiles to proclaim the arrival of the king. These magi in particular were in search of the king of the Jews. They would have linked the star they witnessed to the expected arrival of a Jewish Messiah through the study of ancient Jewish writings. After the exile, not all the Jews would have returned to Judea to rebuild. Many remained spread abroad throughout the empires, often voluntarily remaining in the wealthier parts of those empires as they rose and fell throughout the centuries, seeking financial well-being over the return to the promised land. And by the coming of Jesus, there were large Jewish communities that existed in, in Egypt, in Crete, in Syria, and even in Babylonia. And these magi in the east would have had access to Jewish writings in Babylon. And they themselves were not necessarily kings, although they could perhaps be described as such. The power and their influence was great. But the notion itself that they were kings can be traced all the way back to the late 2nd century. It references the Psalms that we've sung together this afternoon, like 68 and 72, for example, how kings would come and worship the Messiah. Now we know, of course, that all kings, all rulers will bow down before the sun when he returns on the clouds of heaven. So it's not strictly necessary for these men to be kings in their own right. The Psalms will be fulfilled when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But what is important for us to note, however, is that these men were influential men. They had great wealth as evidenced by their gifts. Three types of gifts. We see now where the notion that there were three of them might come from. Now, three gifts, perhaps there were three men. But there were certainly likely more wise men. Matthew does not give us a number and there would have been quite the entourage that arrived in Jerusalem in search of the king. Now, what's interesting 
when they arrived, the question that they asked. They were searching for the one born king of the Jews. They weren't searching for the one who would become king. Not the one to be king. Being king was not for the little one to take on when he was of age, when some council would decide to coronate him. No, his kingship was his from birth. Matthew had already established this in the first chapter listing in the genealogy that Jesus was born of the line of David while Herod was not. These magi knew that the promised king of the Jews had come. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And this is the handiwork of our Lord God. These men who came from the east, men who ought not to have known about the king of the Jews, the type of man whom the Lord God forbade in the Old Testament, seeking to know things they ought not to know, they could not know, and yet they came all the same. And they came with a simple confession. The king of the Jews has come. The promised Messiah, he's arrived He's born. There's no doubt in their minds that what they've uncovered was true. It didn't matter to them that there was some Idumean seated on the throne in Jerusalem named Herod. It didn't matter that that Herod had the alliance of Rome. It didn't matter that all Jerusalem was with him and that he had the power and the influence of the chief priests and the scribes and the people of Israel. No. He wasn't king. There was one born king of the Jews, and they had come in search of him. And they'd come to worship him, that is, to bow down to him, because they knew that he was worthy of it. They had come from far away with purpose. There was a great king who was born. They had need of finding him. But though these men knew that a king had been born, and that he was indeed the king, that he was king of the Jews, <coughs> they did not know exactly where he was born. They arrived in the capital of the region in Jerusalem, and they made their way to the palace to inquire, where is he to be found? In our text this afternoon, Reads that the wise men asked, Where is he to, who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him. We saw his star, they said. So they've come searching. The star has guided them thus far to the promised land, to the land of Judah. And as they knew of Israel, so they knew at least as much about its capital. But what is this star, brothers and sisters? How do they know what it meant and where to look? Now we recognize, first of all, that there is a supernatural event like the star shining forth. This demonstrates God's power. And it reminds us once more of the purpose of creation, of the whole universe. Has God not created all things through and for the Son? Is the universe not to declare his son and to bring him worship? 
It should come as no surprise to us that something like a star would appear with the entrance of the Son of the Most High God into the world. In fact, it should nearly be something expected. Of course, the most momentous occasion in the history of the universe, the climax of history, the focal point of redemption in the midst of all this darkness of the world, of course it would be marked by light. It's already evidenced by the light the shepherds witnessed when the Christ was born. The glories of heaven revealed as a mighty host of angels saying praise to God in chorus. God is the God of life and light. It is his word that brings light into the world. And when the word incarnate enters into the world, light also shines forth in the darkness. And so Matthew tells us that a star rose in the days of Jesus' birth and that it guided the Magi to the land of Israel where they sought the king of the Jews. Many have wondered about this light. Is it really a star? Astronomers have speculated as to what kind of light it might be. Many have doubted that it could be a star. Some have suggested it was a comet. It's often considered an omen in ancient days. Others have suggested that the planets moved in such a way that they pass in front of each other. There's a conjunction of some kind, and, and we can look back and we can chart out the passes of the planets, and we can even map out dates as to when that happened. 6 BC, for example. Ancient astrologers certainly studied the night sky and took note of such things. In fact, that's where the practice of horoscopes comes from. Of course, wise men from the east would have been astronomers and astrologers in their own right. They knew the difference between a planet and a star. So even though conjunctions were frequently associated with royal birth, this seems very unlikely. Matthew records for us that the wise men spoke of a star. What's certain for us, on account of what Matthew records for us, is that the Lord ensured that the light of a star reached the land at the time of his son's entrance into the world. And the Lord ensured that the studies of those men, weak and sinful as they were, the, the wisdom of the world and search, inquiring of things that would only lead them to darkness, guided them in such a way that they would come in search of his son. And it is difficult for us to understand how exactly a star, distant as they are, in the sky above might guide someone to the precise location of Bethlehem. We read of that. We, we, we read that indeed. And Matthew recounts for us in verses 9 and 10. But learned men as they were, the light proved the means of God's handiwork. Matthew's not recounting for us a fantasy, a legend. He's not mixing things up as though it were maybe an angel enshrouded in light guiding the Magi. No. The star guided them. And this too was foretold by the Lord. There's an Old Testament passage that is closely linked to what's being described here. Perhaps you might reach for your pew Bibles and turn with me to Numbers 
chapter 24. Numbers 24. You can find this on page 157. Here we find another magi, a wise man who's come from the east, a man named Balaam. He had been summoned by a king named Balak to pronounce curses upon the covenant people of God. But instead, the Lord had him speak great oracles about Israel. On page 156, the second column here, verse 157 and verse 17, on top of the first column there, verse 17, Balaam's final oracle. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. A star shall come out of Jacob. This passage, Numbers 24, is a text that many of the Jews anticipated. Their scholars saw this explicitly as messianic. And even Josephus, that ancient Jewish historian, references this text, Numbers 24, verse 17, when speaking about how Jews revolted against the Romans in anticipation of a Messiah. They saw a new star thought it meant the Messiah had arrived and revolted against the Romans. This is a text that speaks about a king who would come, a king heralded by a star. And with their access to the writings of the Jews in Babylon and beyond, this would have been the text that pointed the Magi to the anticipated king of the Jews. And with their limited knowledge, they crossed great distance at great expense in order to determine who this star was pointing to. Matthew's focus here is that even foreigners will see the signs. They'll come to worship the king. And this, beloved, bookends for us this gospel. Matthew's gospel concludes in chapter 28 with the last words of Jesus. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. All nations, not only Jew, but Gentile also, are to worship him. The Old Testament likewise has been clear on this. Isaiah 60, for example, reads that nations will come to your light Kings to the brightness of your rising. We sung that as well, Psalm 68 and 72, for example. The arrival of the king of the Jews means so much more for the world than just the people of Israel. This final king opens the doors for all peoples to rejoice in the light of God's grace. That he is to be found in Bethlehem of Judea, It's not just for the Israelites to receive, but even for the Gentiles far away. People not born of the line of Abraham. The coming of the Magi highlights that this Messiah is Messiah for all nations, not just Israel. That he's the Messiah for me. He's the Messiah for you. That he is my king, he's your king, he is king over all. And as the king, he is to be sought out. He is to be worshipped. 
tribute is to be brought to this great king. Now, when the Magi entered in Jerusalem in search of the king of the Jews, they gave reason for their arrival. They've come not just to announce the arrival of the king and the birth of this king, but to worship him. There's purpose to their journey. There's purpose in their search for the king. Now, we're to be careful in how we read about worship. It doesn't necessarily imply that the Magi have come to worship him as God, but to bring homage. And the way the sentence is structured suggests that it is in tribute to royalty rather than explicitly the worship of the one true God. Other kings have had others come in recognition of their authority and bow down to them, recorded in as much in other secular writings. But all the same, beloved, in the scriptures, it's used almost exclusively for the Lord or for Jesus. The only exceptions to that is where ignorance is displayed by someone falsely worshiping and ultimately are rebuked for their worship. And given their behavior when they meet Jesus as magi, it's more than just falling down, more than just bringing tribute. These wise men have been guided by God to acknowledge the one true king. More than that, Matthew's recorded for us, we focused on that this morning, the virgin birth of the Son of God, Emmanuel, son of Joseph, son of David, all in accordance with the Old Testament prophecies. These magi were doing more than they perhaps knew in bowing down. There's more here than simply tribute. It's the hand of God in ensuring that his son is being recognized as the rightful king. Straight from the beginning, Matthew notes for us it's done by Gentiles, not by Jews. King is to be worshipped. Jesus himself notes how foreign Gentiles will stand as witness against those who refuse to heed his arrival. Elsewhere in this gospel, in Matthew chapter 12, he speaks about how the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment and condemn those who did not receive the promised Messiah. Men from the east who did not have the full revelation of the Bible still heeded what the words of the Lord that came to them. In the days of Jonah, a simple word of judgment brought grief and repentance. In the days of Jesus, a light shining in the darkness brought men seeking to worship the king. For the Jews to have rejected him despite the fullness of the Old Testament being revealed in him is their condemnation. And where else in this gospel do we find the title? recorded that the Magi spoke of when referring to this newborn child. Where else do we speak or do we read of the title King of the Jews in Matthew? There would be another pagan Gentile giving Jesus this title. It's at the end of his life as a sign for everyone who entered into or departed out of Jerusalem. 
Matthew 27, verse 37, Pilate's charge reads, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And the people of Israel that did not worship him, they mocked him, they cursed him, they did not accept him as King of the Jews. From the days of his birth, the day of his death, Gentiles unwittingly gave him the title that God Almighty ordained for the Messiah of the world. All the while, Jews, covenant people of God, rejected him. This little child was not the king they desired. They desired a different fulfillment to the Old Testament prophecies. They wanted the signs to point to a different savior, a different man, someone who would save them from Rome, not from sin. The people of Israel did not want to be the people of God, at least not in the way that the scriptures speak of. They wanted to be the people of God in the way that they could speak of. And so they would not heed the word of the Lord, even with 60, even when the pagan Gentiles were unwittingly testifying to it. We're sitting here today, 2,000 years later. We have 66 books of the Bible. We can turn to it. We can read from it whenever and wherever. Is there any missing material for us? Do we not have so much witness to Jesus' arrival? Will we heed the word of the Lord? Will we seek he who has been born king of the Jews? If these magi would cross great distance at great expense to bring tribute to this newborn, shall we not bring our lives in tribute to he who has been born king and was crucified for our sake? Or shall we reject this king and replace him with a king of our own choosing, paying no mind to the message that God brings. God has given to us his son. He's given to us his word that speaks of his son born in Bethlehem of Judea. A son whose birth is heralded by great and mighty wonders such that even pagans were compelled to acknowledge. Let us today read this and be filled with awe and wonder. Let us come and worship the king of the Jews. Let us as people who are neither Jew nor Magi come and bow down before the king who's been born. Let us praise him whose birth was announced by a supernatural wonder. And let us acknowledge today, every day this week, forevermore acknowledge his authority as king of the Jews, Messiah of the world. Amen. Let us pray. God in heaven, we praise you and we adore you that you have sent your son into the world to be born king of the Jews. And that his arrival could be heralded even by pagan Gentiles who did not know your word, did not properly understand your covenant grace and mercy, and yet were called out of darkness all the same. Grant, O Lord, that we who have the fullness of the light of your revelation here with us might be called out of darkness and into your light. 
that the supernatural wonder that is your son, Christ Jesus, come into the world to lay down his life for us, to do what nobody else could do, to acquire for us salvation both now and forevermore might not be lost upon us, but that we might cling to it, that we might receive it, that we might testify by faith that this is our King. This is our Lord. This is our God. Grant that we might worship him as our king. Grant that we might acknowledge his authority, that day by day we might not grumble or complain about the law that he gives to us, a law that is light, a law that is liberating rather than binding, a law that allows us to live in light and in love, that all the fruit of the Spirit might be displayed in our lives, for indeed against such things there is no law. And that by doing so, we might witness that we come to worship He who has been born King of the Jews. Bless us in this festive season that we do not lose sight of this glorious reality. Bless us as we seek to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Bless us hereafter as we lift up our voices and praise to your holy name. Bless us as we depart from here in the grace, in the mercy, and the truth you give to us in him who's been born, King of the Jews. Amen.